Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, there are a lot of things in this world that's supposed to hurt. They are supposed to hurt. Like that gauntlet between my fence and my neighbor's fence that I drive my mower down between. It's like a four-foot alley. And on both fences are thorn bushes like you wouldn't believe. And I'm driving down through there and you can't dodge them. You can only cut them away, and you can only try to avoid them. But nevertheless, if, I, if, I have, if they've not been cut away, you better believe I'm going to get a thorn in my hands. And my goodness, it's amazing how a little bitty thorn hurts like crazy. Or stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night, right? I don't know if that's supposed to hurt, but it hurts like crazy. It's surprising how much that hurts, as a matter of fact. Of course, losing a, losing a loved one. I mean, that, that, that's supposed to hurt, right? It, lo- it hurts so badly, so terribly. Love itself often hurts, like that song said, right? Love hurts, love scars, love wounds, and mars. Love hurts. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> love hurts. Weightlifting is supposed to hurt, they say, right? You haven't you heard? No pain, no gain. There's supposed to be some hurt in there. So there are lots of things in this world that are supposed to hurt. But what about giving? What about giving? Is that supposed to be painful? Is that supposed to hurt? I mean, haven't you heard that you and I are supposed to give until it hurts? That sounds very wise, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds very wise. We often hear it, but is that what the Bible says? It's very interesting as we come to our text today here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we find out that we indeed are not to give until it hurts. Instead, we are to give until it tickles. You're to give until it tickles. That's the title of this morning's message, Give Until It Tickles, as we continue in our series on stewarding our time, talent, and treasure for God's kingdom called Not Mine, But Thine. So let's see what the Word of God has to say about our giving. How should that experience be? I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. We're going to begin in the sixth verse of chapter 9 here in 2 Corinthians and go up through the end of the chapter. The Word of God says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing 
and increase the harvest of your righteousness, you'll be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thus ends the reading of the word of God this morning. Let's go to God and ask him to help us today. So fathers, we come to this text. We don't simply want to read this, God, but we want you to enlighten us. Open our eyes, God, that we might understand it. And God, we don't want to just have a brain knowledge, God. We want to move it to a heart knowledge where we not just understand what we read, but we love what we read. And then, God, we want it to move from a heart knowledge into a life knowledge. God, we want to live this out. We don't want to be hearers only. We don't want to be lovers only, appreciators only, God, but we want to be doers as well. And so, Father, I pray you'd move in our midst today with the people of God here at Eastwood. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you grab your seat here, did you notice 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that it says that God loves a cheerful giver? Now, you've probably heard this over the years, but the word cheerful, uh, translated there, is actually the Greek word hilaros. Uh, if you say it actually with the Greek pronunciation, it's more like uh, hilaros, all right? But hilaros, which comes straight into English as the word hilarious, right? God is set this up in such a way that giving is supposed to make us merry. As you think about a lot of things in the world that make you merry, maybe giving is not really on that list of things that you thought of. But giving is supposed to make you happy. There's supposed to be cheerfulness in giving. There's to be joy in giving. We're not giving until it hurts. We're to give until it tickles. Why? I think the key is found in verse 8. Verse 8 here, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, here it is, you may abound in every good work. Guys, right there it is. Right? Giving is a good work. And we're to enjoy doing good things for God. We're to give until it tickles. So here's today's truth that I want us to take away, that I believe God would have us to grasp from this text. Today's truth. And it's this. Is that God loves when we abound in the good work of giving. God loves when we abound in the good work of giving. As I said last week, giving is not something that you hear often preached on in church. And it's really sad because most of the time the reason is, is not because the word of God doesn't address it. It's because too many preachers are afraid of what you guys will say afterwards. Right, we're afraid. I, I had I had a, a deacon one time tell me, say, preacher, just skip over it. I don't like it when you talk about that stuff. And I said, brother, if God talks about it, we need to talk about it. Amen. So I pray that today, even as last week we talked about giving financially, tithing 10% as the baseline of our giving to God. I pray that today, as we talk further on giving, that you would receive this as from God, not from me. Right? 
I'm the messenger delivering the mail to you, and I pray that you would receive it with joy today. So our text helps us to understand by laying out here four keys to help us abound in the good work of giving. First, here in our text, guys, we see that we are to give in the hope of a great harvest. Given the hope of a great harvest. It's interesting because God here, in this context here, has put it on the heart of Paul to take up an offering for the saints in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem. <laughs> and, and, and if you know anything about Paul's life, that should amaze you. Because the last time, or actually the first time that we see Paul in Jerusalem, when we first meet Paul, period, he's not in Jerusalem blessing Christians. He's in Jerusalem persecuting Christians, isn't he? Right? He's in Jerusalem literally giving his approval to the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr after Christ. Right Here he is giving his approval of it. Not only that, but we read there in, in, in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of the book of Acts that Saul, who uh, is sort of the Hebrew way of saying Paul's name, and, and Paul tends to be like the Greek way of saying Paul's name, but nevertheless, Saul, Paul is here and it says that he is ravaging the church there in Jerusalem. He's literally going, it says, from house to house, dragging Christians out of their homes and putting them in prison because of their faith in Jesus. That's what he was like in Jerusalem the first days that we see him. But as you know, God got a hold of him, didn't he? Aren't you glad that God gets a hold of sinners and turns their life around? Amen? Listen, (laughs) I'm testimony to that. And as I look around this room, you're testimony to that. And God did the same thing in his life. And so now, here in 2 Corinthians, as he's writing, he doesn't want to persecute the Christians in Jerusalem. He wants to help them. He doesn't want to hurt them. He wants to help them. And so he plans to return to Jerusalem from the mission field there with a love offering for the saints there in Jerusalem from the brothers and sisters in the expanding church. He's not just writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to the church in Macedonia and others that he has helped to plant there. But he's written this letter in particular to the church there in Corinth that soon he's going to be sending saints to their church to collect the offering from them. And so to help them to give well, he reminds them that they are to give in the hope of a great harvest. Look here at verse 9, uh, verse 6 of, of chapter 9. Verse 6 of chapter 9. The point is this, he says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, Paul here, he, he's expounding on that well-known proverb, is you reap what you sow. Right? That, that's a well-known proverb. That's farming language, right? If you want to reap corn, you plant corn. You want to reap tomatoes? You plant tomatoes. You want to reap cucumbers? You plant cucumbers. You reap what you sow. And guys, of course, that's true in life as well, right? You want to harvest love? You sow love. If you want to harvest trouble, you sow trouble. If you sow trouble, you will harvest trouble. But Paul's expansion here has to do with the quantity, the quantity of the harvest. And he points out, not, that, not, not so much of what we reap is what we sow, but he says that what we reap is directly proportional to how much we sow. It's directly proportional. Whoever sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so in other words, it's not just if you want corn, plant corn. He says if you want a lot of corn, plant a lot of corn. And if you only well, then plant just a little. And Paul takes that and he applies it to our giving. He applies it to our giving. So in other words, if you want to see a great harvest of thanksgiving and of gladness in the hearts of the saints, if you want to see growth in the ministry and even more souls for Christ, then you need to be great in your giving, great in your sowing. But if you only want a little, just give a little, just sow a little because it's directly proportional. Let me ask you one question. Do you want to see a great harvest for God? Do you want to see a great harvest for God? Now, I've never asked anybody that question, that they didn't say, yeah, I preach, I want to see a great harvest. No one ever says, no, I don't want to see a great harvest. But beloved, if you want to see a great harvest, then you have to sow greatly, right? You have to sow greatly. Do you sow, as you think about this, as you answer that question, are you sowing such that a great harvest is likely? Oh, preacher, God can do a lot with a little. I mean, didn't you see what he did with that boy's lunch that time? (laughs) Yeah, God can do a lot with a little. So the question is not, can God do miraculous things with a little bit? That's That's not what Paul's talking about here, because God is able. What he's addressing here, though is what are we putting in? What are we sowing? What are we doing, right? What is the heart, in other words, that God wants us to have? Is it this heart? Let's give as little as possible so that God has to do the miraculous. Is that the heart that God wants in us? No way, right? God says whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, he's encouraging us to give greatly, guys, so that there will be a great harvest. And again, that's not just souls, as he points out here in the text. It's also joy in the harvest, right? That there are saints whose joy will be increased. There are saints who will be discipled. There will be sick people who will be cared for. There will be poor people who will be blessed, all so on and so forth. There's, there's, it just abounds, right? All the ways that God blesses in that big harvest. But nevertheless, God is encouraging us here to abound in the good work of giving. And one of the ways that we're to do that, to encourage us, is that we're to, we're to give in the hope of a great harvest. So if you want to see a great harvest, you need to give greatly. Secondly, in our text, if, if we're going to abound in the good work of giving, we're to give voluntarily with joy. Give voluntarily with joy. Joy. Look at verse 7 with me, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, you and I, we know what it is to give reluctantly and to give under compulsion because every April 15th, we have to write a check, don't we? Uh, you know, you, you hope maybe to get some back and not to have to write a check then, but let's just be honest, the, you've been writing a check all year long <laughs> to the government that is due on 
tax day. On that day, you're to settle up with the U.S. government or the Commonwealth of Kentucky or the Warren County government, whatever taxes that you owe. Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys enjoy writing that check? <laughs> How many of you enjoy looking at your pay stub each week and seeing all of those dollars that you earn being removed by your employer by law and being sent to the government? How many of you guys would love to just keep that money and not pay your taxes, right? We would all raise our hands. How many, though, would rather not pay your taxes and go to jail? Oh, that changes the story, right? There's the key. You're not giving your taxes voluntarily. You're giving your taxes, you're giving your money reluctantly. You're giving it under compulsion by the threat of going to prison. And there's no joy in that. But here God says that you and I are to give as we've decided in our heart. Now, we saw last week that the tithe, literally 10%, is the biblical standard for beginning to worship God with our finances. And so, yes, God has set a benchmark, but that's not the lid on our giving. He set the floor of our giving, but not the ceiling of our giving, okay? Even the tithe itself. It's completely up to us in that sense, okay? It's completely up to us, even under the new covenant, right? Because there's no, there's no law of tithing in the new covenant. So we don't have to give 10%. But again, God has set that as the standard of beginning to worship him with our money. But again, we don't give our tenth because we have to. We give our tithe because we want to. We get to. God wants us to do it willingly. And even here in this text here, Paul is not really addressing the tithe. He's not talking about the part that goes to that local church there. He's addressing the part of our giving that is outside of the church. Right? He's taking up an offering to, to, to take from Corinth and take to Jerusalem. So, But either way, inside the church or outside the church, God wants you to give voluntarily. Because why? That's where joy comes in. That's where joy comes in. There's no joy in writing that check on tax day because you have to. It's a duty. right? It is a law. But there is joy when you write that check in the offering plate because you get to give it. It's a delight. It comes from the heart. And that's when it actually becomes worship. One time this mom gave her daughter a $1 bill and a quarter on the way to church. And she said, sweetheart, you can place either one in the offering plate. It's entirely up to you. Either one or you can place them both in the offering plate. It's completely up to you. And so as they were driving home, the mom asked the daughter what she had decided to give. And so the daughter said, well, at first I was going to give the dollar. But the man behind the pulpit said, God loves a cheerful giver. So I felt like I would be much more cheerful if I gave the quarter instead. I love the way kids think, right? <laughs> Somehow I don't think that's what the preacher was talking about exactly, right? No, beloved, there is joy in giving greatly. There's joy in giving greatly. And when you give greatly with joy, you are abounding in the good work of giving. God loves a cheerful giver. Third, as we look at our text, if we're going to abound in this good work of giving, 
then we're to give knowing that God will provide. Let's just get real for a moment. Isn't that often what keeps you from giving? Let's just be real. Is that it's fear? That it's anxiety? You're afraid that if you give too much, you won't have enough. And I get it, right? So many of us, right? We're we're just working folks. We don't have the trust funds or we don't have the millions of dollars. We live paycheck to paycheck, so many of us. And so when it comes to putting our part into the offering plate, our anxiety can rise up because for some of us, let's just be real, our security is in our money. And again, I suppose it could be the case, right, that if you give too much, you won't have enough. But the question is, enough for what? Enough for what? Enough for all your needs? Or enough for all your wants and all your extras? Beloved, there are very few people, even in this room, that if you were to give greatly, that you would not have enough for all your needs. Very few. But regardless, notice what God says here to us. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11, here in our text. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply. Your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It says right here that God is able, right? So really, let's just be, again, we're being real here. Your giving is really a test of faith. That's what it comes down to. It says right here in verse 8 that even in your giving. God is able to supply everything you need. Do you believe that? You see, one of the greatest stories of giving comes straight to us out of Luke's gospel. There in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Luke 21, 1 through 4, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. That's a story of great faith. Others gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. And Jesus here points out that although she had very little to give, she gave all that she had to live on. Why would anybody do that, right? Wouldn't you say as an advisor, as a financial advisor, that's crazy, lady. Bless your heart, but don't do that. But she did it, and notice Jesus commends her in doing that. Why? Because she gave it in faith. She believed that God would provide for her. She believed that God would care for her, that he would not let her perish. She believed that God 
would sustain her through everything that she needed. And any anxiety that she had, and listen, I, I just picture sometimes like on the way to the box that she might even stopped and, and turned around and went back. And then, no, no, I, I believe, God, you know, I, I can even see her dancing in doubt a little bit, even on the way. But ultimately, faith overcame her anxiety. And Jesus commends her for it. It was a great act of faith. And so, beloved, do you believe that God is able to provide? Does your faith overcome your anxiety? Or does your anxiety overcome your faith? As you think about giving, remember the words from Jesus in Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, or the, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. These, beloved, are the promises of God. And these promises free you to freely give. You don't have to let anxiety hold you up from giving. God is going to provide. In fact, in terms of our giving, this is the one area in, in Scripture where God says, test me. Everywhere else in Scripture, it is God testing us. But it's in this one area where God says, test me. Malachi 3, 10 Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby, notice what he says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more what? Everybody say need. God will meet your needs. He's going to keep his promises, y'all. You, you hear it, it's almost become cliched, but it's true. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And our text tells us here that He freely distributes, that He freely gives, that He supplies generously. And as you seek to be generous, because this is what we're talking about here generosity, giving generously, giving greatly. Notice what he says in our text, verse 11, 2 Corinthians 9, 11. He says, you will be enriched in every way 
to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What, what Paul is saying here is that God's got this. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be anxious. Abound in the good work of giving, knowing that God will provide. And finally this morning, if we're going to abound in the good work of giving, then we give so that needs are met and God is glorified. Now, I know that there's a heresy out there that we would call, um, you know, the, the prosperity gospel and all these things where you're sowing a seed and if you'll sow $10, you'll get 100 back. <laughs> that is a twisting of God's teaching on this. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. God just says, just watch me if I don't open up the heavens and pour down blessing onto you until there is no more need. But God is not like a, 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 an investing machine as far as that goes. Right? We don't put in a, a dime and get back a dollar. We don't give to get. We give here, it says, so that needs are met and God is glorified. Look at verses 12 through 15 in our text. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. There was a real need, right? Paul's not just taking up the offering because he needs an offering. Now, back in Jerusalem, there was a real need amongst the saints there in Jerusalem who were facing extreme persecution and all the things that were going on there. This offering would help out a bunch. It was going to be a real blessing. So yeah, there is certainly spiritual good that's going to come out of this, as he says. But guys, as you give, think about this. When you give to God, you are giving to people, right? You're giving to people. And God takes that and he blesses people and he upholds people. He meets needs. He's going to meet their needs, right? And he set it up so that you get to be how he does that. He's going to meet their needs through you. And I pray as you think about the needs around the world, as we as pastors and church leaders put needs in front of you, or as needs arise in your small groups, or as needs arise with your neighbors, that you take the opportunity to be the conduit of blessing from God to those people, that you see it as that, that you see it as a good work that you get to work in and walk in. But not only will needs be met, but notice here that God's going to be glorified. As you give, God is getting talked about in one sense, right? Your giving is a declaration. You're making a statement. As you give, you're declaring to the world that God is worthy of a portion of your hard-earned finances. You're declaring that God gave it to you. And now you get to give it back to him. You're declaring it's not mine, 
but thine, Lord. You're declaring the work of God is of utmost importance here on planet Earth. You're declaring that God has gifted you and graced you. And now you get to be godly, God-like. You get to give and to grace others. And so I pray that God would get a ton of glory through your giving. And I pray that not only would physical needs be met, but I pray that spiritual needs would be met. Not far from now, today is the 8th of November, exactly one month from today, the second Sunday of December. We're going to have the opportunity to take up a special offering. Every Sunday we take up an offering that, that is for the church, right? That's where our tithes go. That's where our 10 percenters go. But in a month, we're going to get the opportunity to take up a special offering. We call it the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We, we call it here at Eastwood, we call it the March to the Manger at, at Christmas. Now this year is going to be a little different because this year has been whack, right? 2020 has been whack. And so we didn't get to take up the Easter offering like we normally do. Now people gave still, but we didn't get to take it up to the fullest of the potential that we normally have, all right? And so this Christmas is going to be different in this regard. What you give on that second Sunday of December, 15% of that is going to go to North American Missions, and 85% of what you give here at Christmas will go to international missions, okay? That's what we've decided as a church, and so we're excited to do that, and it's your opportunity to give. And so even right now, it's like Paul is writing a letter to you, preparing you for that special offering, and we pray that all the things that you've thought about here, and you would see the needs and that God would be glorified, because again, we pray that through your giving, that people come to know Christ. You ever wonder when you get to heaven, will there be a form and a sheet or whatever it is, an account balance that says this dollar was used by this missionary or this ministry to reach this person? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, God could totally do that, couldn't he? And I pray that you would take every opportunity that you have to meet needs and to glorify God in your giving. Now, I don't know if you like to go to the doctor or not. I, I, it's never my favorite place to go. I like doctors, but I don't like going to the doctor usually, right? But when you go for your annual checkup, he or she, they're often going to begin by poking and prodding, right? They're going to press on various places, and they're going to ask, does this hurt right here? Or does this hurt? How, how about this? And if you cry out in pain, it means one of two things. Either the doctor pressed way too hard, or you have a problem. It's the same way here these last two Sundays. Guys, as I've preached on giving financially to God, I've kind of poked and I've kind of prodded. I've been aiming at your heart. I hope I didn't step on your toes. I've been aiming at your heart. But if, as I've preached, if you've cried out in your heart in discomfort, maybe even criticizing the message or even the messenger, then one of two things is true. Either I pushed too hard... Or there's something wrong with your giving. If it's a second option, then I would say this, my friend. 
you're in need of the great physician because it's not supposed to hurt there. Giving isn't supposed to hurt. It's supposed to tickle. God loves a cheerful giver. And so if you're giving hurts or hearing about giving hurts, then I pray that God will do a work in your heart until you're able to give until it tickles. Here's my final prayer this morning as the praise team comes. May God's inexpressible gift of grace lead us to greatly give to the good work of God. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.